This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Thank you, worship team. So for those of you, yeah, you can give them, give the Lord the praise for giving them the talents and gifts they have. Um, For those of you that might be your first time here, uh, Casey, who is our pianist, she's the one that wrote that song, actually. So she did that with one of her other interns about a year ago, and uh, it's definitely a, we'll say, fan favorite, a family favorite here at uh, WBC. So so if this is your first time here, uh, my name is Pastor Bill. I am your family biblical counseling pastor. Uh, Pastor Glenn is back there recovering from knee surgery. We're happy to see him here today. And uh, our lead pastor, Matt McMillan, is in Arkansas uh, with his family because uh, that's where his wife is from. So I'm going to sit Arizona. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, so here, here's kind of how this came about. Hence why you have this sin and suffering up there. Uh, Matt came to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, would you like to preach while I'm away? We're not sure if Pastor Glenn's going to be healed up. Can you take care? And I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, so did you know you've kind of gone through this counseling series without knowing it? And I go, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I probably preached, I don't know, two and a half months ago, and I preached on Philippians 4, 1 through 8, and we talked about uh, anxiety and fear, because I think that's probably one of the number one things kind of crippling us as a body of believers, that uh, anxiety and fear has definitely become somewhat of a problem and, a, and definitely a counseling issue. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I ended up preaching on Obadiah, which is all about pride. Uh, so there's your sin piece, so I, suffering piece and sin piece. And he goes, so what would you like to preach on now since you're kind of on this counseling series? And I went, I don't know. How about if I preach on how the church can come alongside of people and care for them well with these things? And he was like, perfect. So that's what you're getting. So let me help you with a couple things. So I'm going to talk about two terms that hopefully if I can define them for you now, it'll help you. So the first term is soul care. Soul care specifically, we're going to be talking about how do we care for people that are dealing with suffering, pain, grief, or we could say the sins that have been committed against them. And then we have what we call spiritual direction on the other side, which is really kind of uh, talking about how to help somebody that is in sin, that's trying to overcome something, okay? So that's kind of our two categories. Does that make sense? Help you? Because I'm going to use those terms, and if you don't know those terms, you're probably going to go, what is he talking about? Okay, but here's your disclaimer. I have one disclaimer. I don't do this often before a sermon, but I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I want you in this sermon, uh, as we do this, I want you to realize I am not knocking secular counseling. I don't want you to leave here going, see, nope, that's not what I'm doing. Because I know some dear brothers and sisters that, who work in the outside world that care well for others. I know easily one of the best guidance counselors I've ever met. Uh, I'll leave her name out of it because she probably would not want me to give her credit. She's amazing. What they do is, it's amazing. But what I'm telling you is, and this is what I think is important to understand is, 
the church has lost sight of what we are called to do as a body of believers. Because we have the answer. The secular world does not have the answer. They have ideas of how to get you to certain places, but we have the answer in Jesus Christ. He is the only healer of our souls. As uh, Dr. Kellerman says, we have a God-shaped hole inside of our soul. We constantly feed it with everything other than Christ. Okay? We're going to talk about how do we fill it up with Christ. Okay? So don't leave here thinking that I'm bashing secular counseling because I'm not at all. If anything, I'm actually calling the church to step up and do what the church is called to do. Okay? So we're going to start with three things. And I'd like a little interaction with you. So the first thing is... Do we believe as a body of believers that the church that the that scripture is infallible and errant and it's a, and it's authoritative and as 2 Timothy 3 uh, 16 through 17 says all scripture is inspired by God it is profitable for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness do we agree with that can I get a yes or an amen either one um, as a Baptist preacher we like a good amen right um, Two, do we believe that the greatest commandment is what Jesus said in Mark 12, 29 through 30? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others. There is no other command greater than this. Do we agree with that? Yes. There we go. We're two for two, folks. Let's go, let's go for the trifecta. Okay? Third one, Holy Spirit. Scripture is clear, and I could, I mean, we don't have enough time to unpack all this. I could give you all Arthur Pink's book, give you some light reading, but I'm going to roughly sum it up as this. The Holy Spirit gives us life, power for service. It guides, directs, counsels, unifies us as a believers. And we see that throughout the Bible. Do we agree on that? Yes. Perfect. So we are three for three. Then if that's the case, why do we send people outside the church for counseling, soul care, and spiritual direction? I want you to think about that. Why do we do that? Why do we tell people to go to people outside the church for counsel, spiritual guidance, soul care, spiritual direction? Why do we do that? Okay. Here's what I would tell you. In my 15 years of doing this and my years of seminary and interviewing people, because I've done a lot of interviewing of counselors and people that have been in counseling, it's what helped me kind of build... Uh, some of my kind of the way I do things in counseling but specifically people say that they generally do not help people because they fear that they have a lack of knowledge they don't know enough about the Bible and they definitely don't know anything about counseling practices some people have said I don't have the patience for it a lot of patience to be a counselor let me tell you okay gotta have patience life is messy I don't have the time. You know what? We should just leave it to the professionals. I have a fear of confrontation. Don't like calling out somebody's sin. Don't want somebody to call out my sin. Not good. We'll talk about that. And, but we will look at the idea that to provide soul care and spiritual direction for all, that is what our call is. That even despite those fears, those concerns, and those hurdles, we need to provide some level of care, okay? So let me give you the history of biblical counseling in 30 seconds. 
Many books written about it, so if you want to get into it more, but roughly I can help you with this. This is not something new. I didn't just make this up at my previous church and now here, okay? People have been doing this for years before me. Many saints have gone before us. The Richard Baxters of the world, the Martin Luther, the John Calvins, the Puritans. Boy, I tell you, you want to read about some soul care, read some of those old Puritan prayers, okay? People have been providing soul care and spiritual direction well before us. The, profession, the counseling profession came about in this country in the 1800s in response to the Industrial Revolution. Okay? So it came about sometime in the time of the Industrial Revolution. Modern day counseling as we know it today didn't start to emerge until the early 1900s. And the first mental health clinic in America was brought together by Clifford Beers in 1913. So what did we do prior to the Industrial Revolution? We went to church. That's what we did. The average person that wanted soul care and spiritual direction went to the church, their local pastor, their preacher, their minister, their pre whatever you say, whatever whatever you want to call it. But they went to the church. So I'm going to ask you some of you come in here with a background of possibly counseling. I respect you. Boy, do I respect you for doing it. And some of you maybe even come in here that you've been to counseling. And I respect you honestly for taking the leap to actually do that. Because I'll tell you right now, the hardest step in counseling is to actually walk in the counselor's door the first time. But I ask you kind of to try to not think of everything that you have thought of about counseling and I'm going to hopefully can help you build a theology, a biblical backing of how we are to give soul care and to care for others. But before I go into scripture, I want to do one thing because I think it's important to do because I don't want to plagiarize anybody. I want to give thanks to the Lord first. But I originally went to seminary thinking I was going to be a lead pastor. And I took Dr. Kellerman's class, Discipleship and Counseling. And this is exactly how it happened. I went to my lead pastor at UBC, Tim Webster. Tim called me up to his house, said, hey, why don't you come over? I'd love to hear how things are going in Capitol. And I said, Tim, man, this is great. I'm learning so much. I've got my gospel classes done. I'm in Acts now, Pauline Epistles. It's phenomenal. Now I'm taking this counseling class. I think the Lord's called me to be a, uh, a counseling pastor, a biblical counseling pastor. And he honestly wept. And I said, what are you crying for? And he goes, me and the elders last night prayed for a man in our church to step up and start a lay counseling ministry. Okay? I went, how, how often does this happen, folks? We got a game plan, and the Lord goes, no, 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 no. We're going to do something else. Pump the brakes, kiddo. I got another idea for you. And I thank the Lord. If you don't see the passion and hear the passion in my voice for caring for others, uh, get to know me better because you'll understand I love telling jokes I love making people laugh but I love more than anything leading people back to the cross so want to mention names like Kellerman Paul Tripp Larry Crabb David Powson Dan Allender Garrett Higby who I'm going to talk about today a little bit some of my professors and there's a lady uh, June Hunt who has just a lot of respect in the biblical counseling world she has a, a online site that if you ever want to get information, she gives out so much free information, biblical direction for helping people in all sorts of 
sins and suffering patterns. It's unbelievable. So I just want to give her the credit too. Okay, so we're going to be all over the place in our, in our scripture today, but we're going to start in Romans 15, 14. So if you want to either flip on your phone or turn there in, in scripture, be more than happy to. But before we look at that verse, let me, let me talk a little bit about what Paul is doing in Romans 15, because it comes into play with this verse. Paul gives his readers this direction, that one, we need to build each other up so that we can continue to endure. He's talking about endurance. And then he gives them some other bit of encouragement. He's very encouraging part of Romans. He says that we also need to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. So we need to be this loving, caring community. And then in verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we may overflow with hope. Now, he doesn't specifically say it, but that overflow of hope is what we are to carry on to others because that overflow should be for someone else, not just for us. And then he says, and I'm reading in the scripture, but it's like he says, and by the way, if you're doubting me, and then he says, verse 14, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Scripture and specifically this passage is clear that disciple making and giving wise counsel are the privilege and the responsibility of every believers. Everyone in this room, that is our privilege and it is also our call. If our goal is growing into Christ's likeness, which hopefully it is, then we should be helping others to do the same. I have brothers and sisters that have come alongside of me, that have poured into me, that have shared that, uh, those, that knowledge and that wisdom they have gained so that I could grow closer to Christ. I hope in turn I'm doing that. I hope the same is happening for you. I hope you have somebody pouring into your life other than just coming here on a Sunday and hearing us give a 35-minute sermon. But you have somebody pouring into you, caring for you, telling you the hard truths. It's so important. So here's one of the real issues, though, in all of this. We all love giving counsel, right? We all love sharing our opinion on things. Well, you know, Paul, I think you should do it this way. No, Bill, I think you should do it this way. We often do that. We have those people in our lives, right? Maybe like Aunt Edna. Let me tell you how you should be doing that, right? Yes, Aunt Edna, I'll, I'll be doing it that way. The key is, though, we are quick to give counsel and care for each other. My question to you is, how biblical is it? I hear people give a lot of advice about counseling. A lot of advice. And I often think to myself, and my wife will often, she'll do that, grab my hand or put her hand on my leg and like, honey, this isn't the time. And I'm thinking, that wasn't good counsel. And that wasn't even close to biblical counsel. Right? Here's one. You got confrontation going with somebody. I've heard people go, well, no, just keep it to yourself. Don't ruffle any feathers. Where is that in Scripture? Biblical counsel, Matthew 18, it says go talk to that person. Share your grievance. So that, again, moving into Ephesians where uh, Paul says, because Satan will get a foothold, right? That's biblical counsel. Those kinds of things. Is your counsel 
biblical. We're going to talk about that even more. How intentional is your counsel? Romans 15, 14. You are full of knowledge. You are full of goodness. Now go tell others. Go teach others. Go counsel others. Go care for others. We need to be intentional. So Garrett Higby, who is a pastor of biblical counseling, he's been at a couple rather larger churches. He's trained over 6,000 people on biblical lay counseling. He's at a church right now, and if you want to Google it, he's a really neat guy. He's got some great articles. He roughly teaches his church these three things. One, every believer's job description is one, to care for each other and ask questions. So not just the, hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? But the idea of, hey, Paul, I know you're going through a rough time right now. How are you doing? And listen. God gave us two ears, one mouth, one closes on purpose. Okay? We should be listening to people, caring for people. Okay? So, so important. That's number one. Two, he says, be wise enough to seek God's words for answer. I can't tell you how many people will come up to me, even in a counseling office, and I will say, I'm just going to be straight with you. I don't know what we should do. So let's look at Scripture. I think this might apply to Ephesians 5, or let's look in Galatians. But the third thing comes in and shows our humility, and that is to be slowing down and asking the Lord in prayer what you should be doing. So again, that's what he says about level one, level two care, which is really what we're talking about here. Level one, level two care is really the idea of somebody walks into a church, how do we care for somebody when they walk into church? And level two care is if you're plugged into a small group, life group, another body of believers, is what does that care look like in that group, okay? And again, we'll talk more about this as we, as we move on. So the second verse we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, and it ties to Romans 15.14, because Paul says to instruct one another. So what does it look like to instruct? So 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul's writing this in his letter to the church. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only knowledge and truth, but also our own lives, because you became dear to us. So often as Christians, I've done it, I've heard others do it. Hey, you know what? I'll be praying for you. And you walk on by. Or the old, take two verses and call me in the morning. Here's two verses about anxiety. I'll be praying for you. Best of luck to you. Now, I know I'm somewhat being sarcastic, but we do this. And that is not providing soul care. That is giving somebody knowledge and hope that knowledge changes their lives. And that's not exactly how it works. We must share the gospel of, and knowledge with each other. I am not at all denying that. But there should be this balance where truth and love come together, as Dr. Kellerman says, and kiss. They have to meet each other together. They have to be in balance. Since me and my family have arrived here, we have felt loved by this church. Absolutely loved. And nothing against my old church. We felt loved there too. But there's something different here that we, we just have felt very, very loved. I hope in that same way, I hope we have loved you all well. 
It's important. It's important for the community of believers. It's important because if you think, um, look, I, I enjoy being up here. I enjoy preaching. I enjoy uh, talking about things that are passionate to me. But what I really enjoy is leading people back to the cross. One-on-one -on -one counseling or caring for others. That's the way I show and hopefully care for people well. And I'm not saying everybody takes my counsel. Okay? Some people deny the things. That I, it's okay. We have, we have free will. But I hope that we are feeling loved in a church like this. And I hope that we are caring well for others so that they feel loved in our church. Prior to this verse, so in verse 7, and I think it's a cool thing to point out because it might be overlooked. In verse 7, Paul says that we were gentle like a nurse's care for her own children. That's how we are to love and care for each other, like a nurse's care for her own children. I thought it was just a really good picture. Are you caring for others that way? Knowledge is important. Bible classes are great. But just as important is taking that knowledge to help and lead and care for other, others. Remember, it's not us that transforms people. Folks, it is not our job to save people. I think that's one of our hang-ups of sharing the gospel with people. We think that we are being um, rejected. I didn't save that person today. Hey, let me just take the burden off of you right now. It's not our job to save people. It's not our job to cure people. That's Christ's job, right? So important to remember in that. Okay, so let's go to our next verse. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this idea. So I've given you kind of a general Romans 15, 14, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, two verses that are important that show us that we are actually able to do it and we're called to do it. So how do we do it? So we don't have enough time to look at every passage in Scripture on suffering or every passage on uh, Scripture in, uh, on sin. But I'm, I've picked a couple of mine that I thought we could talk through, and I can give you some guidance of how you can care well for others with these passages. But uh, yes, so let's do this. So we're going to start with suffering. What is the number one thing that you hear people say uh, when they're in suffering or they're dealing with loss or something? What's the number one thing you hear? Anybody? Why? Yeah? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why did he do this to me? Why, why, why? The other big one? Why does God let uh, bad things happen to good people? Well, we don't have enough time to unpack the theology behind this, but you all are not good people. I'm not a good people. Right? We often think that God is, he's allowing suffering to punish us. And that's not the way it works. I believe wholeheartedly that one of, not the reason, but one of the reasons that God allows suffering to take place in our lives. One, we live in a fallen world that's fallen all over us. But two, because in our suffering, we grow closer to him. He grows us in knowledge, he grows us in wisdom, and he grows us closer to him. We tend to walk closer to the Lord in our broken and our suffering. Because when things are growing great, a lot of times, I'm good. I don't need God. Generally, that's what happens. So in that time of suffering and care, we are drawn to him. Well, let's look at 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, because it's the other reason he allows it to happen, and that's for this reason. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. You could take affliction out and go pain, suffering, whatever you want, grief, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Folks, he allows those things to happen so that we go through something so that we can care well for somebody else. Anybody here lost their parents? Okay. I've lost both of my parents. I am not at all telling you that I know what you're going through. That's not what I'm saying. That's a mistake we say all the time. You know what? I know, I, I know exactly what you're going through. No, actually you don't. Because you don't know what my relationship was like with my parents. My relationship with my parents was good. I've met with people that are suffering from grief that actually are dealing with anger and bitterness because their relationship with their parents was horrible. All of a sudden, two different stories, right? However, I can share with somebody how God comforted me, how a community, how a body of believers cared for me, how people loved me. I can share that. I can direct them back to the cross. But I can never say I know what you're going through. I understand loss. I understand the suffering of loss. But again, I don't know what you're going through. So God allows these things to draw us closer to him and also for us to use it for uh, us to draw others closer to him. So important. Larry Crabb said this from his book, True Spiritual Community. He said this, when you became a Christian, you packed your bags for Bermuda, but your plane landed in Iceland. Without a coat, you needed the warmth of community to survive. I love that. Gives me chills every time I read it. We thought everything was going to be good. But we realized it really wasn't and that life is hard. We thought we were getting dropped at Paradise Island in the Bahamas. Woohoo! But instead you're dropped in Alaska in flip-flops and a pair of shorts. It is the warmth of community. It's the warmth of your brothers and sisters coming alongside of you caring for you well, comforting you. God allows these things to happen for our growth and for others' growth. So that's suffering. That's kind of what we're called to do when we're caring for somebody. We, we call it in, in biblical lay counseling, this idea of sustaining and healing. That is, brothers and sisters, we come alongside of somebody and help sustain them, help care for them so that their level of function does not continue to drop. That in some time after listening to them, caring for them, asking questions, hearing them just talk about their pain and their hurts, that at some point we can start to lead them back to the cross and guide them what we call the healing process. So now we move on to sin. So if you are, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. This is scripture speaking, not me. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Let me say it again. Restore such a person 
with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he, is, uh, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take uh, pride in himself alone and not compare himself with anyone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We must love someone enough to want to restore them. And I'm telling you, it is not always easy. We must do it with a gentle spirit. And we are to carry someone's burdens, meaning as I kind of, I'm a visual guy, we need to hike up our pants sometimes and get in the mud with them. And it's not always easy. We are not only to have a gentle spirit, but a humble spirit. And as, and as we are not to consider ourselves as something special because we are also sinners. One of the biggest mistakes we make, I've made it. I can be judgmental. I don't want to be, but I sure can be at times. Man, that guy's sin, that's way worse than my sin. What Paul is saying is, if we are doing that, then I'm considering myself better than that person. We are to have a gentle spirit. Come alongside of those brothers and sisters. And we are to remember, sin is sin, folks. It's all level playing field at the, level, at the bottom of the cross, right? Okay? So when we are to come alongside of somebody, it's almost like as if we were to say, my sin's way worse than yours. Let me help you through yours. It's almost the opposite of what we tend to do. Ephesians 4.15, one of my favorite verses. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head of Christ. Who is the head Christ. We are to speak that truth in love. Gentle spirit, considering others better than ourselves. Folks, love is the defining characteristic of Christians. It really is. And I'm being, I'll just say me. I'm preaching to me. I blow it every day. But it is a defining characteristic of who we are. If we view people as created beings in the image of God, then we will speak the truth in love. As redeemed beings, we will dis display the divine image when we love one another. Michelle and I were at a marriage conference one time. This thought just came to my head, and I remember the guy up on stage went, uh, would you talk to your spouse that way if Jesus were standing behind them? And I was like, ooh. Right? Gentle spirit, speaking the truth in love, caring well for each other. Gentry and Wellam in the book Scripture and Counseling said this about speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in love is not only concerned with the obedience to God and sin, that idea of the vertical relationship, but also with the reality of living in a covenant community with fellow brothers and sinners, uh, uh, sisters in Christ, that horizontal relationship. Have you met those Christians who are so zealous with their biblical knowledge, they love to beat you over the head with it? 
We've all had that person, right? So I'm an ex-smoker. I hate admitting that, but I am. Praise the Lord, when I was around 32, dropped to my knees, literally dropped to my knees in my office, and I said, Lord, I know you don't want me to smoke. It's going to kill me if I keep doing it. I'm, I'm not strong enough to overcome this. Will you take it away? And I never smoked again. By the power of Jesus Christ. I believe that wholeheartedly. Because when it comes to habits, I am a weak individual. Okay? I tell that story for the reminder that one, Jesus can do anything, overcome anything. But two, to remember this idea that when I was a smoker and I'd be outside smoking, people come up and go, you know, you should stop. That thing's going to kill you. Did you ever stop? No. Pride. But honestly, I don't know if that person had the right to call my sin out. You with me? We don't have, Glenn, do we have the sin police that walk up and down the hallway here, right? No? The key about that kind of thing, when you're talking about sin and lovingly speaking truth into a brother and sister, it happens in community. It happens when you have an accountability relationship. It doesn't happen with you standing outside. I mean, look, I often tell people, I'm not the church police. People come up to me at the grocery store. Hey, I'm sorry I wasn't at church on Sunday. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not taking records of who was at church and not church, right? We need to be in those relationships so that you can actually have somebody speaking truth and love to you. So what is the mindset we should have? Simply put, we are to look like Christ. So the last couple verses here, passages I want to look at, are really, what are we supposed to look like? Who are we supposed to look like when we do this? So Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And this is the key, folks. This is the key. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others a more, uh, more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for their own interest, but also the interest of others. We are to adopt the same attitude, that of Christ. He emptied himself. He was a servant. He humbled himself. He died on the cross. He also went through suffering, hurts, and pains. It starts with us taking on the mindset of Christ. As we take on that mindset of Christ, I think the other thing that comes into being very valuable when you're talking about a relationship like this, of caring well for others and calling others out in sin, is we also have to be vulnerable. Hence why I shared to you, I was an ex-smoker. And I hate telling you all that. Because, boy, that was a stupid thing for me to be doing. But it's true. And it is what it is. And vulnerability is a good thing. Now, as we do that, we then also have to do what Colossians 3.12 says, and that is, therefore, as God's chosen one, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And he goes on to say, above all things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It creates the unity. Let his peace rule in our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Do everything in the name of, of Christ, 
giving thanks to our Lord Jesus. It is not our nature at times to demonstrate all of these. Hence why we are called, I view it as like a winter coat. Put on that winter coat because it's got compassion, humility. It's got all that in it, right? So let me wrap things up with this. I want to make something very, very clear. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek help outside the church. But what I am saying, folks, is it should start here. You are all believers. The believers in this room, you are equipped for good works. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God's word. And you're called to love and care well for each other. So important. The Bible is sufficient for soul care. And a lot of things people go to counseling for are soul care and sin issues. There are definitely mental health issues that, are, that we are not equipped for. You're not equipped for level one and level two. And me being a trained counselor, there are things that I have to pass on to people. But I think one of the mistakes, and I'll just share this with you quickly. What I will often do when I have to, sh- I have to pass somebody on to somebody else. I had somebody that came to me. Um, yeah, I can't say that. Never mind. I would be breaking confidence, sorry. I had somebody who came to me with a, something that I was not able to help them with. And I said, so let's get you to a psychiatrist. And when they got with the psychiatrist, they signed a form saying I could talk to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist could talk to me. So it was I talking to a psychiatrist about I had the answer in Jesus Christ. But what I ended up doing was I ended up meeting with the person every other week. They met with the psychiatrist every other week. The psychiatrist was helping them with the things that needed to be helped with, and I was able to help them with spiritual direction and soul care. So we did it combined. It can be done, folks. Okay? But the time, sometimes, it, it, it does take time. It takes time. So important to understand. So again, I've gotten into those kind of cases where I've had to seek other people's help because it was beyond what I could do to help them. Okay. Now, I had a slide. It's not working right. But I have uh, some resources that if, you want, if you're interested in reading more about this, I have some really, really good resources that will help you. One's called Scripture and Counseling. The other's called The Church and uh, Counseling. Uh, just some really, really good books. But let me, let me give you your three gospel responses. So the first is, the counsel you're giving people, is it biblical counsel, or are you giving counsel through your own experiences and knowledge? Nothing wrong with sharing some experiences, how the Lord has worked. But you have to make sure that you are filtering your counsel through Scripture. Okay? Number two, which hurdle gets in your way for you to provide soul care or spiritual direction for somebody? If it's fear, you don't have enough knowledge, I'm telling you, you got enough knowledge. I'm telling you, the first person I ever counseled, I was still in seminary, I'd only taken two classes, first person came to me and said, hey, can you help me? I said, sure, I'll help you. He goes, I think I'm going to kill, kill myself today. Uh, hold on. I don't have enough classes for that, right? But the Lord worked in and through me, and that person is still alive today, okay? It has nothing to do with me. It actually proves more and more, I got no clue what I'm doing, okay? But it is the Lord. So do not let fear of not having enough knowledge stop you from caring for people. God is a mighty God, and he can work in and through you. And lastly, are you willing to stand in the gap? So I'm going to use that term gap for this reason. Generally, people that are going through sin and suffering feel like they're over here and God is over here. Generally. Okay? Why did God allow this to happen? Or the other one, 
I'm in such deep sin. There's no way I can walk into the church. That place is going to collapse on me. God hates me, right? I'm calling you all, including me, to stand in that gap, to share the love of Christ, to share his knowledge. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, to share the gospel and knowledge with them and also share your lives and help bridge that gap from that person to Christ. That's what, that's what I'm asking you all to do. So your last, your last little quote here is from Paul Tripp. And I think it's important for you all to hear. So Paul Tripp said this, For most of us, church is merely an event we attend or an organization we belong to. We do not see it as a calling that shapes our entire life. But consider this. We could never hire enough paid staff to meet the ministry needs of the average local church. The passive body that pays the professional's culture of the modern evangelical church must be forsaken for the ministry model God has so wisely ordained. It is simple, folks. You have the Holy Spirit, you have God's Word, and you have a call to love Him and love others. You have the ability to give somebody what we would call that level one or level two care. Let us be the church that does that. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, thank you that uh, I don't have to come up with some counseling model, Father, that I can just literally dive into your word, Father. Your scripture is so clear that we are called to care for each other, that we are called to carry each other's burdens, that we are called to love. We are called to restore a brother with a gentle spirit. Father, would that be the mark of this church, that we are a church that cares well for others, that we provide soul care for the hurting, and that we provide spiritual direction for those that are battling sin. Thank you, Father. We lift this up to you in your holy, precious name. Amen.
Well, thank you all for being here today. Let me share something with you real quick. So during, between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, uh, the suicide rate goes up, alcoholism and alcohol abuse goes up. So if you don't think that we are called to care and love for those, just think about if you were just to take a moment this week and just to ask somebody, how are you really doing? Just something like that. Just something that simple. Because as Matt always says, we are called to go into the midst of darkness and light it up. Well, that's one of the ways we can do it. Have a great week. Love you all. And we'll see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.